Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I am Jim Galante, along with my good friend T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, it's our first post-game show. That's exciting itself, isn't it? Yeah, uh, good game for Penn State football. Lots of positive things to talk about while also still having some corrections, which I think everyone likes to hear. So we can get into all of that today. And uh, we have a full show and we just sat down and we get to talk, right? We just get to sit down and talk about the game. I love it. And you know what my favorite thing is, T. Frank? You said there's issues that need to be cleaned up. And that means we get to talk about your favorite topic, the kickers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, we will get into an in-depth breakdown of plant leg. <laughs> Something to look forward to. That no, is the tease. All we right. won't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into it, T. Frank. I got to tell you, I was asked by a friend my assessment of the game. I said, well, I could give you my opinion, but I won't know what really happened until I talk to T. Frank. Then I'll give you the authoritative conclusion to everything about the game. Let's start with the biggest story, and also has to be a positive story, and that's Drew Aller. Going into this, that was the big variable, I think, going into the season. The new quarterback, the young quarterback, with all the promise in the world. To the casual fan like me, looked like he did a great job there, T. Frank. What did you see? Um, it, he made things that on their surface looked easy. 
he made them look easy when they necessarily weren't. And that comes down to, first off, I think the obvious things of being able to step up in the pocket, pocket manipulation, movement with his, you know, his eye, not only his eyes downfield, but he has been really good since high school at keeping himself square to the line of scrimmage and ready to throw. So you go through that first touchdown, and if you're another quarterback, maybe you don't have yourself ready to throw because you're thinking of running it. And, and Drew even said after the game, he was thinking about running. He was going to run in that situation. And then he saw Keandre Lambert-Smith cross the face of the safety. So he loaded up and threw the ball. But that's because his eyes were downfield, and he's been taught so well to keep himself in a ready-to-throw position. And that rotational throwing motion that he has, he can do that from different platforms, different angles, um, and still deliver the ball with good velocity and good uh, pace and, and, and good accuracy. So on that ball in particular, how many guys can sling it 40 yards down the field off platform with essentially just their arm into the, he had his forward momentum, sure, but mostly just his arm, and it was on target. Wasn't perfectly placed, but it was on target for Keander Lambert Smith to catch and get a touchdown. So from that perspective, um, Lots of tools. You saw every single tool he has on display on, I think it was the second pass for a touchdown. It was uh, the second pass that he made. And what impressed me was the point that you made. He made everything look easy. But what I also thought interesting, one of my nephews texted me early Sunday morning saying, wow, I didn't realize Drew Aller was that athletic. Mm -hmm. But if you've been paying attention to last year, for a big guy, he moves pretty well within the pocket. And yeah. in the end, it didn't always pay off with a run. It's like you said, with his eyes up, that's where the big plays happen, right? Yes. You move within the pocket and still throw the ball. That's how, it, that's how you're supposed to do it. That's exactly how you're supposed to do it. And, and um, these are franchise quarterback style traits. And whether he is or isn't, going to be the guy that gets you over the hump against Ohio State and Michigan. It's evident already he's going to give you a chance. Um, pockets will be tighter. He will get more pressure. He'll throw from tighter windows. He won't be as accurate at times. But this is the point of if you give him the space to step up, and I think this offensive line is good enough to give him the space to step up into the pocket, and you allow him to read the defense, He's going to make you pay as, as a quarterback. And a lot of things, you know, I broke it all down in, in T-Fang's film room at bluewhiteillustrated.com talking about um, his mental side of things and how West Virginia, it's interesting. James Franklin talked a lot about cover zero and how they were playing a lot more, they were playing a lot of cover zero. And I think it's more, a lot more than you were expecting than it was they were playing a lot. Because I counted maybe three or four times where they played it in, High leverage situations like we saw last year, a third down with Keandre Lambert Smith and that drop. And then in the red zone or in the, you know, approaching the red zone, some critical areas where they wanted to get a stop, which they didn't do last year, to, to be clear. So much more than you would have expected, but still only four or five times they used that during the game. But Drew Aller was able to beat that. He was able to beat their eight man coverages where they're dropping you know, a whole body of defenders into the field, making basically a, a Red Rover picket fence of, for the passing lanes. And with his abilities, he was able to do that. And Jim, get to full field reads. So when I say a full field read, it means he's got something on the front side where he looks initially, and then he's got something essentially behind him to the other side. And in, in this case, it was right 
to left, and he's able to bring his eyes all the way back around to his second read and to find that receiver open and make a play. In his first start against a, a defense he's not super familiar with, against cover eight, really impressive stuff. And then, you know, kind of the West Virginia stuff we talked about of they're going to have so many people in coverages and so many safety linebacker corner slot corner hybrids that all look the same and they're in a very agnostic position of what you're supposed to read he was able to simplify diagnose and attack the right place and throw in rhythm with time so like all the things you want to see he did all of them it was it was a magnificent performance you brought up one play uh t frank that i want to ask you about third down situation i believe it was the first possession of the second half zero coverage and mm-hmm. I impressed myself. I was at the game. I instantly noticed that and said, uh-oh, here's, here's an opportunity. Yep. And it felt like they were that close on it. Tell me what you saw, because I'm still trying to decide if that, that's a catchable ball that mm-hmm. uh, Lambert Smith should have had and had a first down, or if did Drew Aller miss him and miss a huge opportunity? Yes. <laughs> it's never it, <laughs> okay so let's let's break the play down and give credit in all the different places cover zero which means that they're bringing everybody that isn't in coverage so there's five eligible receivers if the back is in to block i don't remember specifically if the back was in to block but essentially four coverage defenders and everyone else is rushing the quarterback so drew has to and he knows there's unblocked pressure so he's got to find the right arm angle he's got to find the right timing he's got to find the right throwing lane to get the ball there and Keandre has press coverage, which is something we talked about with him last year of that was something that really frustrated him that led to all of this, where Penn State's receivers were not either strong enough or fast enough to get away from aggressive defenders. So in both those situations, Aller finds his passing lane and Keandre Lambert-Smith toasts the guy getting that inside move, the inside leverage that he needs to. So good, good from both of those guys. Here's the bad. Aller throws the ball behind and low, still on the frame of the receiver, but not a perfect pass where you catch it and you run in stride. And that's what James Franklin said. If he, if he does that, that basically the game's over on that third play when they then I, at that point would have gotten a two touchdown lead. Um, and then you get to the catch part where that hits him in the hands and he drops it. So bad and bad. Um, And if you want to give a specific, like we would lean more one way than the other, that was a catchable ball. And if he catches it, even if he doesn't get another step, it was a first down keeps you on the field. So that's how I would read that situation. That would, I I would consider that a drop by Keandre Lambert Smith, although he was not set up for success by his quarterback. There you go again, T Frank with context and shades of gray. Sorry, When we're looking (laughs) I can't even that, cut this for social ex- media. That was like a three-minute answer. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, that, That's fine. And actually, I, I very much appreciate that answer to you, Frank, because watching it both live and then watching the replay, I'm trying to make my assessment. Oh, was it Drew Aller, you know, bad pass? Was it uh, Lambert Smith with the drop? And the fact that it was a dilemma for me to try to decide the fact that you were able to split responsibility makes me feel like I actually assessed it correctly. Yeah. Let's get back to, uh, go ahead, finish your thought. I was just going to say, if you're in that situation, um, probably there's responsibility on both sides because the, the minutia of how it goes down and, and kind of the responsibilities is usually pretty clear. Fans just don't know the why 
You know, like you, most fans know when they see something like, and you, like you said, I didn't really know it's because it was kind of a 50, 50 split. So like, I think people's intuition is good. It's just kind of the, the reasons and the details uh, that are different. What I was happy about is you and I have talked enough and talked about zero coverage that when I spotted that ahead of time, T. Frank, I was just proud of myself because I could see that play coming. Let's go back to Drew Aller for a moment. Mm -hmm. When we've talked about Drew Aller over the offseason, and it was what does he have to work on, one of the things that you talked about is occasionally his footwork will get maybe a little sloppy, and that leads to passes that should be pretty straightforward for a guy with his arm talent. Mm -hmm. How did you see that? Was he good with that, or did you still mm -hmm. see that cropping up? No, I didn't see too much with a clean pocket, um, and that's really where you're looking for that, is when you have a clean pocket and maybe you see something, you get excited, and your, your footwork goes through a little too fast, or if you've got... Um, a muddled pocket where you, you don't have a step up lane, but you still have a small area to throw from, from there are times where he'll get a little too, I think a little too far back in his weight and he'll try and, you know, make that tight area work a little more than he needs to, where if he just steps through in his, in that short stride and then just delivers with his regular mechanics, he's good. The area that I thought he was a little over aggressive climbing the pocket. So a couple of times, he had a three-man rush or he had, you know, they'd done a good job of moving guys laterally so he could step up and he was stepping and running. So uh, Trey Wallace, he throws that backside dig that he gets through a full field read. That's great. Um, and part of it is that that movement in the pocket did look like he was going to run and it drew in a defender to open that window. But if he just controls himself a little bit more on the ascent, I think he can deliver that with a little more accuracy than he did on that. And so there were a couple of plays. The only one that I thought was inaccurate was the near interception uh, in the back of the end zone to Keandre Lambert-Smith, which he acknowledged, like, I didn't put that ball in the right spot. That needs to be high and away. And he put it on the frame. So the great thing is, like, you're looking at this guy and you're saying, these are adjustments. These are not major fixes. And uh, I know we're coming up to the end of the show. I just want to say one more thing about Drew Aller before we go on to the next segment. The biggest thing is that awareness. He knows where guys are on the field when he's not looking. Uh, a check down to Nick Singleton when he's under pressure and he knows where the guy is, that is like, that's like next level NFL level awareness of where your guys are. And he's doing it in his second season. I'm just really impressed with his mental processing as a quarterback, which again, that's the whole thing. And then the physical traits, they come off of that. You're not the only one who was pleased with his performance, T. Frank. It just makes us look forward to the rest of the season. All right, we looked over Drew Aller's performance. Next segment, we're going to start talking offensive line. Stay tuned for that. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, it's T. Frank. Today's show is brought to you by RogueShop.com. Always happy to talk to you about RogueShop because they have helped me in a lot of different ways. And the main way for me is with sleep. 
I love football season. I love my job, but it is a grind sometimes. It is 12 hours a day, six to seven days a week. And I'm not joking about that. That's my schedule and how much I am working during football season. And sometimes I have a hard time winding down. I can't turn off my brain. Well, in those situations, I reach for, as I reach for, RogueShop.com. These are the THC gummies. You take them uh, maybe an hour before bed, and then you're able to fall asleep naturally and stay asleep throughout the night, which is my problem and what I have been helped with a lot with RogueShop.com. Uh, sleep is a big thing, but they also can help you with pain, anxiety, and a bunch of other things that THC and CBD have shown to, to help out and to manage because this is about managing some chronic situations uh, and, and helping you live a better, more holistic life. RogueShop.com, for those who don't know, is a small distribution company in Wisconsin specializing in these top shelf, family grown hemp products. And they can help you learn what you need and uh, which one of their products would be best for you. That's my favorite part of what they do is because I don't know what I'm doing. THC is legal. You know, this is a new thing, and they know all the information. They can help you point you in the right direction. So check out RogueShop.com. Use promo code BWI for 10% off your purchase at RogueShop.com. And welcome back to quarter number two of the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim. He's T. Frank. We're talking Penn State, West Virginia. We spent quarter number one, the entire segment, talking Drew Allard. Deservedly so, T. Frank. He was the story. But let's start looking at the rest of the team. Let's start with the offensive line. How did you grade them out? Um, so just so you know how the process, my process goes is there's a lot of information to go through in a, in a football game. And this is a good thing to do at the beginning of the season so people understand. Like, I'm not going into footwork and hand placement unless it's an obvious reason to play failed. So I've got to understand what the defense is doing, what the offense is doing, and how those two things interact. And then we'll get to, like, the main players that made something happen or not happen. Um, it, so there's, there's main interactors on every play. The offensive line, for the most part, they are absolutely a unit. So we do get some of that. Even if they're not involved in the play, you're watching how it all works and how it all plays out. But, like, if it's an outside zone, and I, I'm not spending as much time on the backside tight end, or I'm not spending as much time on the technique of X, Y, and Z, we're giving you the general assessment of how they played. So from this perspective, the running game was unbelievably efficient on Saturday. They were able to rip off five and six yard runs consistently. They didn't break the big one, um, but they were able to be a supplement and an efficient part of the offense that was supporting Drew Aller and uh, the passing game. So from that perspective, the offensive line did an excellent job. Let's get into the run blocking. I want to highlight two players specifically that I thought did a great job, and that is Theo Johnson and Caden Wallace. The right side of the offensive line, when they were to blocking together, was a real problem for West Virginia. And we knew that this was an undersized unit going in. Sean Martin uh, was dealing with a preseason injury. Don't know where he was in his health journey. But he was their best defensive lineman, and Caden Wallace was mauling him. He was moving him off the ball. And I say, like, this doesn't happen very often. You don't see guys get pushed off the ball, like, excessively. Caden Wallace had some serious movement. And, and Theo Johnson the same way, where maybe it wasn't a perfect technical block. He's supposed to get himself on the outside shoulder of one of the players. 
but he fought through every block and he was able to get lateral or vertical movement um, in, in a lot of different situations. So those two individually, I wanted to give a shout out of noticeable improvement. That that muscle, that meat we talked that Theo Johnson put on this offseason, he put it to work in week one. So he didn't get any targets. Uh, he might have had one or two targets that d- didn't get there. But um, he was a huge part of the game plan, even if he was not a receiver the way I had expected him in the game. Um, secondarily, moving off of that point, the offensive line did a much better job this game in their double team blocks at the line of scrimmage. The initial block that then leads to one of those guys going to the second level and picking up a linebacker. They created room for Singleton and for Catron Allen to make decisions and get, you know, cut and get up field and have the ability to have a hole, even if it's not perfectly blocked. Um, and those double teams, they didn't always get to the next man, which is why they didn't have those explosive 20 yard runs, but they were able to uh, open up a lane and then the, the running backs had the momentum to fall forward. So overall, the run blocking was much better. Um, and they were able to do a bunch of different things in the run game, a lot of different schemes and a lot of different formations that I, I'm, I'm always impressed with Mike Yersich and his planning and his use of formations to create, again, ambiguity of what are we about to run. So overall, the run game, specifically with the offensive line, I think was improved. I think there was some, some significant improvement from really important fundamental parts of this game that you want to see them physically intimidating a smaller front like uh, West Virginia, which they did. They just didn't need to rely on it as the, as the entire offense, which is also, again, really good. That was very nice to see from the running perspective. How about pass protection? Because it mm-hmm. did look like West Virginia was getting pressure on Drew Aller. Yeah, so we'll start with the good side. Once again, Olu Fashinu didn't allow a pressure. Wasn't expecting him to do that, but every once in a while, maybe you, you're tired on a play and you, you're, you have a mental bust and you forget your assignment or you're just physically late on something when you have the athleticism. Uh, but they didn't do that. And Caden Wallace, I thought, he's still a big dude. He is still like a heavy-footed right tackle, but he moved really well. Now, this group is not one that A, blitzes, and B, uh, has intimidating pass rushers. And they took care of business. The issues came on the interior in terms of passing off the stunts and the blitzes from the interior. So they do what's called, West Virginia does what's called a simulated pressure or a zone blitz where they bring four, they don't bring extra defenders, but they will bring guys from odd angles. They'll blitz the middle linebacker or they'll bring in the will linebacker over the a gap and they'll drop a defensive end in the coverage. That's the whole point of their kind of, uh, again, ambiguous body types is that you can bring guys from different locations and, um, the interior once again, I think struggled to pass those off and have awareness of having their eyes in the right place and not taking the bait. So, there was there's still some work to do there on the interior, but the tackles I thought were good. And that's a, a good sign for this team that that part is strong and they can work on the mental aspect with some of these guys on the interior. Okay, T. Frank, you alluded to the uh, blocking for the running game was good. Neither Catron Allen nor Nick Singleton had that huge run. I'm looking to see their... The long run yards. for the game was 14 yards from Nick Singleton. And mm-hmm. for Catron Allen, it was just nine yards. But 
the consistency of it. Each of them averaged over five yards a carry. Yep. So even though we didn't see that explosive 75 yard run, I thought it was a very good performance by the running backs. Only combined 23 carries from the two of them, but you average over five yards a carry. That's not too bad. So I want to start with Nick Singleton and his vision, his patience, his balance, all have improved. Um, it's interesting watching these guys develop because now looking at him, his pad level is better. He's approaching um, running his his rushing lanes and he's approaching linebackers with that lower pad level and that aggressive forward leaning stance that you need to break a tackle and keep running. And his lateral abilities, he's starting to look like Saquon. He's starting to move like an elite running back and not just a very linear yeah. football player. And it's just fun. Like, just I want to stop and say, it's just fun watching guys develop and get better. And you don't get to see these guys. And, you know, we see them in practice, but until you actually see a play, you see a similar situation where you're you're getting the same view that you normally do. You don't You don't appreciate it until you see it. So I was really impressed with Singleton, his vision. I think even though he didn't go over 100 yards, 70 yards on 13 carries, it was an excellent performance from him. And I'm very, uh, I, I see a lot of promise for him to have those breakout games. So that's one part of it is there was definite improvement, even though the stat line doesn't say there was definite improvement. Um, that's a huge thing. His vision and his, his ability to create more yardage, that efficiency is what you needed in that game. Uh, secondarily, you mentioned it, 23 carries. You're going to need them to sledgehammer against a couple of walls in Big Ten play where it's not going to be as easy. You saved probably six carries, maybe maybe eight carries, four each on these guys. That's a huge benefit that they didn't have to abuse themselves uh, on linebackers in game one. And you were able to use your passing attack and, and you were able to get a multitude of receivers involved and even there share the load to get through this game with a win, with development and all of those things. So from from the running back perspective, really impressed with everything I saw from them. And that efficiency is, is a huge part of the development of this running game where last year you would see them run for 17 yards, 24 yards, and then two, two negative one, three, you know, and the, the really stymie the offense. Part of that's the offensive line of what we talked about earlier. Part of them is part of that is them seeing the holes. The last thing I'll say is that West Virginia's defense with their two high looks and bringing a lot of guys from different angles, it is within the nature of their defense to limit big runs. So they weren't able to break that one tackle, but that's because there was always another guy at the layer, the next layer to keep those guys contained. And there, you alluded to it. There were so few of those negative plays. Looking at this final stat sheet where it shows the positive gains and how much they – and losing yards, it was one yard apiece for Singleton and Catron Allen. That means there were hardly any plays that went for negative yardage, which is fantastic to see. Let's hit the wide receivers. That was another part of the question mark. You mentioned it earlier. I think Theo Johnson actually had one target and Tyler mm -hmm. Warren, too. So they weren't uh, going to the tight ends. They were going to the wide receivers. Keandre Lambert-Smith statistically had the big play, the big yep. numbers caught, uh, for over 100 yards. I was impressed. Uh, Trey Wallace targeted eight times and seven receptions. 
a lot of credit to Drew Aller for that, but also for Trey Wallace. Yeah, um, that was a big thing for Trey Wallace was consistency. So he's playing the X receiver position for the most part. I have to go back and double check to make sure that was consistent. But that's where he had been lining up all of preseason during the um, during the spring game as well. And he's really locked into that role as the the X. Now they can move these guys around to a bunch of different positions, but that gives you one on one opportunities. And uh, Penn State threw to him in those one on one opportunities. Uh, the way they create it with formations as well, where they're they're bringing three guys to one side and singling out a receiver on the other. And he had seven catches for 72 yards. He was the chain mover that I was saying preseason. They need to find somebody who's going to be consistent, catch the ball and get a first down. And he did that. You know, in week one, I, he didn't have a drop or he had the one drop. Excuse me. Uh, that would have been a touchdown. Bit of a difficult catch, full extension, but he got both hands on it. Like you consider that a drop, but it's it, that was a hard drop. But for the most part, was great. And then Keandre Lambert-Smith, once again, three catches for over 100 yards and two touchdowns. Um, I'm trying to remember how many. I think he only had three or four catches in the Rose Bowl. So if he can keep that energy up of big play Dre and uh, get a 70-yard touchdown every game, Penn State's going to win most of their games, if not all their games, with that type of balance in production. Uh, last thing here from an X's and O's standpoint, the tight ends were incredibly important in this game. So they didn't get any targets, but they were used to manipulate the defense. We talked about this cover four defense, and if you run deep enough, it becomes a one-on-one -on -one situation, and they use this matching technique, this quasi-man coverage with their safeties um, to cover the internal receivers, the slot and the tight ends. So Penn State used the threat of Theo Johnson to open up big windows for Keandre Lambert-Smith to get touchdowns, big plays, etc. cetera. Uh, and then they were used to block and max protect. So... They had an important role that was not catching the football, but Theo Johnson, his impact on this game, you could see it from the, the safeties were super aggressive to cover him, and it opened up big voids in the defense that Penn State was manipulating to get to the, the big plays. We're going to take a break from our Penn State West Virginia game review for a little bit of Ask T. Frank, and we'll get back to the game in quarter four. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number three. That means it's time for your questions, and we ask T. Frank. This is where you submit your questions for T. Frank. He gives us the greatest answer in the world. And at the end of the segment, T. Frank will pick out the best question, and you will win the prize from 409tailgateclub.com, including their new coffee barbecue rubs. I had a chance to sample those again over the weekend. Fantastic. All right, T. Frank, are you ready? Yes. Let's get to some questions about defensive tackle size. <laughs> I, 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 and this was the first question already. It was on the top of the list, <laughs> T. Frank. So I'm not doing this because of your comment. This is from, from Matt in Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. Hey, how about that? West Virginia hey. question. My guess, you will probably be hearing a lot of concerns about the defensive front. I yeah. feel like the front seven got pushed around, but more so small things here and there with filling the gaps. Yeah. Is my lack of concern fair? With it being week one, can any issue be cleaned up? Looking back at it, West Virginia had 3.7 yards per carry with a mobile athletic quarterback, and the starting defense only gave up one touchdown. 
which the big part of that drive was a busted coverage for 35 plus yards. Matt, I don't, you answered your own question. I mean, it was, that was excellent analysis. You, you, uh, yeah, you've left me in stunned silence that I don't have anything to add. The, so yes, uh, there's two things that I want to highlight in his comment. The first is the quarterback scramble and, uh, which is technically a passing play to start. It is not a part of the run game, uh, issues it is a part of gap containment issues so penn state's ability to contain the quarterback in the pocket which i'm almost positive that manny diaz james franklin Dion barnes the whole thing all week was keep him in the pocket keep him in the pocket keep him in the pocket and they were not able to do that for a number of reasons one of them west virginia made plays and garrett green is a really good quarterback that's why I was telling you, he's got a Trace McSorley-esque way of running, and he's elusive like that, and he makes big plays, and he's not, you know, at 5'11", he's not super assuming as an athlete, but he's a very, very good athlete. And he was, he, he kept himself in control, too. He didn't make any wild plays or, or throw the ball into danger a whole lot, so he was very good. And it's interesting, he, you know, as the quarterback and as the leader of the team, he said in his postgame press conference, it was basically like, you know how some people put a period on the sentence with a phrase all the time, like they just had the same phrase. He kept saying, I needed to make more plays. It, unrelated to anything he just said, he would finish every sentence with, and I needed to make more plays. I thought he made a lot of plays. They just didn't have a lot of structure around them to uh, accentuate how many plays he could make. Um, and then from a run game perspective, I played a game on T. Frank's film room when watching the defense called who's in the B gap. Who's got the B gap? Because a lot of times the B gap went uncovered. And uh, because of all the movement up front, I don't necessarily know who was supposed to be there. Like, I don't know hundred percent sure because of all of their different techniques. And some of the things you see that is this, they're being taught differently than kind of the standard traditional. Here's how you fill a gap because they are so active. They move around so much. And there were so many players crisscrossing slants stunts twists that it's i said it's like being on a tilt world at a county fair it's just hair shapes and bodies flying around and like watching the film i kind of wanted to throw up because it's just getting dizzy so there's a lot there's a lot of stuff going on and matt you're right they're going to get all those details nailed down as they go and overall if you look at the stats and the numbers they gave up seven points and 3.7 yards per carry that's a pretty good day it is T. Frank, and I think the disappointment in defense, and we'll talk more about it in the fourth quarter, was we didn't see those splash plays from the defense that we got so used to seeing the second half of last season. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Let's get to Dave and Pensburg. T. Frank, notice that the tight ends had very few targets versus West Virginia, but Aller was very comfortable throwing in the tight coverage to his wide receivers. Might this signal a confidence and skill that we haven't seen at quarterback in a while? I always feel that a throw to the tight end is more like throwing to a safe target, a contentment to take the low-hanging fruit. Your thoughts? Yes and no. It depends on how you're using the tight end. It literally depends on the route more so than the player. So throwing six passes that are what you call a sticks play where you just run and then turn around to the tight end. Yeah, that's conservative running Theo Johnson on a deep crosser or up the seam is an aggressive play. And Penn state opted for max protect and throwing deep with basically two players in the route. They did that quite a bit on, well, I shouldn't say quite a bit. They got two touchdowns off of it during the game. So the tight ends were used 
how you use tight ends, which is in a multitude of ways. And again, talking about how this defense that they faced worked, if you've got a guy in coverage and you got Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren next to each other, um, they're usually the outside guy most likely is covered by a safety, the inside guy covered by a tight end. So that safety has to come down a little bit and has to react to what the tight end does. So if he's blocking, there's a split second where that safety's flat-footed and has to decide, is he going to blitz or is he going to drop back into coverage? And with Penn State speed at receiver, they were able to get deep and throw over the top of the safeties. And, you know, oversimplifying that to an extreme de- degree. But there was that, and there were some coverage busts by West Virginia in the secondary that caused those big plays. And then for the most part, James Franklin went back and talked about this, uh, you know, going back to what he said about Penn State's defense specifically, saying, we're not an easy access defense. West Virginia is an easy access defense where if you know where to throw the ball, they're running off coverage, cover three, cover four, and you can just throw it to Harrison Wallace for seven yards and get a first down because that's underneath the umbrella of the coverage. So Penn State did a lot of things really well, and they were able to exploit what they knew of the of the West Virginia defense to take advantage of their rules and their style, and they used the receivers that way. But if if next week they use the tight ends to run up the seam, that's not conservative throwing to the tight end. It's how you throw to the tight end that is conservative. Uh, T. Frank, I mentioned this earlier in the week. I have total confidence in these tight ends, and mm-hmm. it, it's not a case where they targeted them 10 times and they only had one catch. There were only a couple targets there, so I'm, I don't have a concern about the tight ends and their performance. Let's go to Alex and St. Mary's, who says, so when the green-yellow-red light predictions came out, Jamel Lyons was in the yellow category. On Saturday, mm-hmm. he played one snap. Does yeah. burning one of his four games for one snap lend more to the green light scenario, or was it simply because of Vanover missed the game? That's a great question. I don't have a good answer for you because I think you bring up a lot of um... – fair points there. So they, they, they kept, they wanted, it was the very last play of the game too, where Jameel Lyons gets on the, on the, uh, on the field on a play with four seconds on the clock. It is curious, but it also leads to the idea that Jameel Lyons is going to be in the rotation this year. And I think that's important. We talk about, um, we talk about corner in this way, but I do think we need to have the conversation of, Chop Robinson and Adisa Isaac are going on to the NFL at the end of the season. You'll have Amin Vanover, yes, and you'll have Denai Dennis Sutton, and you'll have Zariah Fisher. But Lyons is the next guy in the line of, can he be a dude? Can he be like a difference-making pass rusher? So kind of like Elliot Washington and Zion Tracy, they do need to get him as much experience as he can handle. So I think it's a little bit of both. If if Vanover is available, I don't think he gets on the field in that situation. If Vanover uh, or, or if if there's a different situation where they don't have that one play, I don't think he gets on the field. But it does lead you to think he's going to see more than four games this year and he's going to be a guy that burns the red shirt. James Franklin talked about this in, in the lead up of he's been a guy that's been ahead of their expectations, at least my expectations for sure, heading into his freshman season. So I, I would lean yes. That is kind of a signal that they're going to use him uh, eventually on special teams and whenever they can in the rotation. You still have to wonder about that having a guy in for just one play. If you yeah, had it's not any thoughts at sure. all, no, no, it's not efficient. 
And you almost wonder if it's the reverse way. It's not the thought, well, we're probably going to green light them, so we're going to put them out there. Is that they put them out there and now we'll think, well, we did that. Maybe we'll green light them. And I'd like to see what those circumstances were that made that happen where he got out there for just yeah. one play. Uh, Mike in Littleton, Colorado, he says he's a state college native, though. I see chatter that Franklin was classless, letting the second team score in the end. Do you think they will be doing that more to keep the backups engaged and out of the transfer portal? That has to be some of the motivation to not name a starter. What are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, you, everyone, everyone knows the answer to these questions. It's just what percentage of it is that and what percentage of it is they want to get these guys. This is not new. James Franklin is not afraid to throw the football with his backups in the game. Um, the, the conversation we had post game. And then I think on, uh, on the Monday show was they did it with up two touchdowns where James Franklin normally wants to be up by four touchdowns, like have a, an insurmountable lead before you put the next quarterback in. They were putting in the second string. Uh, Drew Shelton was getting in at left tackle with like nine minutes left to go in the game. So talent and the ability to, to go out and perform. And I think it is a certain amount of, they trust Bo Perbula. Now they ran most of the plays. Like they, they ran for most of those plays, but James Franklin, I think said, or somebody said, if you're going to play cover zero and force us to throw the football, we're going to throw the football. We're going to keep playing till the end because West Virginia was playing to the end. Their starters were in and they were calling timeouts as if they were still trying to win the game. So Penn state's going to try and win the game. And, and I don't, I don't have an issue with that. I think that is a hurt feelings sort of, we lost sort of thing, but you know, that's, that's a part of the game that I'm not necessarily paying attention to. I'm just seeing how the guys did and what the performance of those players was. Well, T Frank, I do pay attention to those things. And when Neil Brown complained about it, it's very simple. As you pointed out, there was also the onside kick because he was just two touchdowns behind. Crazy things can yeah. happen. He was still calling timeouts. He still had his first team in. He was still playing to get the ball back and try and score again. So I don't have an issue with Penn State trying to score there. And I've said this on our show earlier this week, and I'll repeat it. James Franklin learns his lessons. A couple years ago, he had a totally unprepared backup quarterback that went into a game where he had a comfortable lead against Iowa, and they lost that game, and the season went to hell after that point. He's not going to have that happen to him again. So Bo, more than, I think, transfer portal talk, I get that. But Bo Perbula got a chance to play. He got a chance to run the ball, extend a series with a first down run. He completed a pass, and he scored a touchdown. To me, that's valuable experience, and it may pay off later in the season. All right, T. Frank, that's it for our Ask T. Frank segment. Stick around. Quarter number four, we'll start with our winner. Stay tuned. Are you a company that is passionate about athletics and wants to tap into the Penn State sports community? Maybe you're a community organization in State College, Center County, Pennsylvania, or even Planet Earth. Are you interested in growing your brand and leveraging our YouTube and podcast platform? Or are you just a person that has some money to spend? If you're any of those things, 
or something I didn't bring up just now, consider advertising on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube show. We have a dedicated and passionate audience that is just waiting to hear from you. Through, through me, talking about your business on the show. That, that's how we do it. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, email Michelle Delee Hamilton at Michelle at ComanPub.com. That's Michelle at ComanPub.com. We're waiting to hear from you through me talking about you. Again, that's how we do it. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He is T. Frank. I'm Jim. This is quarter number four. T. Frank, before we get to it, we need a winner from our Ask T. Frank segment. Who's it going to be? Yeah, we had a bunch of good questions today, uh, but I'm going to go with Dave in Pensburg. And I, I, by the way, I don't, you know, I don't always say, hey, we have a bunch of good questions today. Sometimes we don't have great questions. Matt's question was excellent. Um, but I like the conversation about the tight ends and, and the variability of aggressiveness depending on position and route. And just a quick follow-up to that that we didn't have time for in the previous segment this is my issue with throwing to the running backs is typically when you throw to the running backs, unless you've got a good design on a wheel route or an angle route, or you're running them up the seam, those routes are more conservative and they are more, they're less valuable because they're, they're shorter routes that have a more predictable chance of being tackled for five yards. Like if you're throwing two yards behind the line of scrimmage and he gets seven, that's still just a five yard gain as a pass. It's not as valuable. So tight ends are in that middle ground. I thought that was a great conversation about how the variability of value in the passing game kind of works out in terms of depth and target and targeted route and et cetera. So Dave's our winner today. Very good, T. Frank. And I want to get to the defense, but just one last question on the offensive side. We talked about just about everyone. We also hit the wide receivers. I wanted to get your uh, impressions from of Malik McLean and Liam mm -hmm. Clifford who I think between the two of them, they were targeted six times and had six completions. So first off, this is the, this is the great thing about having a quarterback like this and having the receiver position where I was skeptical. And I'll be honest, like I, I, it's not that I think James Franklin's ever lying. It's just always, is it a positive take on a situation where it could go either way? And we, we know that there are talented players in this group, but what's their consistency level and what can they do? I was a little too high on Malik McLean to begin with. And, you know, we talked about him on this show. I talked about him on my show of this is a dude who's six foot three, who can run from the slot is what he did at FSU sometimes. So he can run routes. He's not the most explosive in his change of direction in those areas, but you saw big and physical and can run and stiff arm a guy in a cover zero situation, and get a touchdown. By the way, terrible, terrible coverage in that situation of being so far off and allowing that to happen. Great play call by Penn State as well. And then Liam Clifford uh, doing what he's supposed to do, which is everything. He did block. He blocked a lot as a uh, as a receiver. Even so, there were some downfield blocks like to Malik McLean on that touchdown, but also on screens where he's bodying a dude into position for an offensive lineman to grab, then getting his guy. Like just the little things with Liam Clifford. You're just going to go through and you're going to go, man, this kid's good at football. He might not get 35 catches in a season, but he's going to do a bunch of different things that you don't notice that is so valuable to the team and good hands and can run after the catch. So, yeah, I, 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 Malik McLean has wide receiver one skills, and the only reason he's not a, a bigger part of that, I think, is because Trey Wallace has, has emerged as in his position as a guy that is going to be a consistent 
absorber of of targets. And it Penn State's in a great situation, I think, with those two at that X. Okay, T. Frank, let's finally hit the defense. A lot of folks were disappointed, but as uh, one of our uh, listeners pointed out with their Ask T. Frank question, first team allowed one touchdown all game. If mm-hmm. you look at rushing yardage allowed, 3.6 yards per carry, and they only had 162 yards uh, throwing the ball. Looking at it statistically, it seemed like a very good game from the defense. What was your overview, overall take on how the defense played? Uh, they have some stuff to clean up. So I think it was from a lot of different perspectives, not the cleanest game we've seen from the Penn State defense and from Manny Diaz's uh, attack on that side of the football. We covered like, holy cow, how much they do up front. And they honestly played their best when they didn't do as much aggressive stuff. Uh, so this is an area of of the defense that I think is important to explain too, is like, it's hard to have your defensive line slant, have your linebackers backfill or fill those gaps that they're voiding and have everybody hit the moving target of the offensive line at the same time, because the offense is also acting at the same time. This is kind of where I said in T Frank's film room, Manny Diaz has his own plays that he's running. Every defense has calls and they have plays that they're running. But usually what you're doing is you're reacting to the offense. So if the offense is running to the left, you'll, you'll fill your gap and you'll kind of go according to that. And you may have some slants that you have in there, but you're reading and reacting. Manny Diaz's defense is doing whatever they're going to do on a certain play, almost irrespective of the offense. Now, they obviously have to adjust on the fly, and that's where you have these mistakes, where everyone has to adjust together to what the offense is doing while also running their action. And that's where we played who's in the B-gap because it didn't work perfectly the whole time. So from a run game perspective, when West Virginia got their big runs, it was because Penn State didn't get to all of their gaps. The 17-yard run on second and 20 was because somebody didn't get to the backside B-gap. Donaldson is a good runner with good vision. He just went into the void. And, you know, not going specifically into who it was on that play because I don't remember right now. Those are the situations they need to clean up. That is not a physical error of the defensive line getting washed out anywhere. There was no real examples of that. The linebackers did struggle because when you do all of this movement, if you've got a good offensive line, they'll just, the guys that are unblocked will just climb to the second level. And sometimes Penn State's linebackers struggled with that. And then on top of that, zone blitzes are a part of this conversation on rundown. So zone exchanges where you've got a defensive end dropping and you've got somebody coming from the backside trying to, get tackles for loss. This is the inherent risk reward in Manny Diaz's defense where they're trying to hit, trying to hit doubles and triples, trying to hit home runs instead of just getting on base and and playing small ball. If we're going to go all the way with the baseball analogy. And I know that you're a baseball fan and you'll go one further and I won't understand (laughs) it, but uh, you know, that's how this show rolls. Uh, And and, uh, there's one last thing I want to get to, and I'll get to here in a second because I've, I've talked for too long. No, you never talk too long, T. Frank. People want to hear you, not me. I wanted to ask you, though, about Abdul Carter. Uh, So Mm -hmm. much expectation going in. You look at the stat sheet. Speaking of which, he had only one hit on the the stat sheet, but it was an 11-yard sack. So I guess that's a home run. My question is, was he striking out the rest of the time? Let's keep this baseball thing going. How did you see him perform? 
Uh, I don't think it was as bad as it looked. There were a couple of times where he was hung out to dry in no man's land because of something Garrett Green did or something that one of his teammates was out of position and he was left trying to cover two people. Um, that happened a couple of times. A couple of times he straight up ran into Chop Robinson <laughs> because <laughs> Chop Robinson is zone dropping. Abdul Carter sees the screen coming and is flying downhill and, you know, has tunnel vision getting to the ball. And he just, you know, Chop ends up being a casualty of that. So they had a couple of run-ins, those two in particular, of kind of the edge support on Penn State's defense. Just the positioning, the spacing, working together, kind of having that cohesiveness was not, it was not clean overall. Um, and then again, he was put in space a couple of times where he's trying to get Garrett Green, and that's a good athlete, and he's a little bit over-pursuing. So just maybe slowing down a little bit and letting the play come to him, kind of breaking down in space. He was not lights out as a tackler, but he had more difficult assignments too. A lot of the stuff that was happening in front of him, you know, I got to kind of get the sense they were trying to get him a free run in the backfield, but things West Virginia were doing were smart and they were avoiding going at Abdul Carter and giving him those free runs into the interior. When he was at his best, he was rushing the passer from the A-gap. So he got a really good hit on Garrett Green, got a couple of really good pressures. So the sack, I think, was on that what-the-hell-are-you-doing-to-quarterback-fourth-down play. So he gets the yeah. sack, but a lot of his impact pressures came off of that. One last thing when it comes to the pass rush. 55% of Garrett Green's passes were under 10 yards. So, you know, 9-15 of his passes came under 10 yards. The, the, the pass rush in particular, which was the area that I thought they would have a big opportunity, they didn't get a lot through most of the game. It was runs, screens, and really short passes. So that's going to be a thing that teams do against Penn State. Chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac, these guys got to get home when they get the opportunity because they're not going to get a lot of full three-second pass rushes to beat a guy, get around, and get the sack. Interior pressure, I think, can still improve. They've got the guys to be ferocious on the interior, and I didn't necessarily see a ton of pressure from Beeman, Durant, those guys on the interior. Vandenberg had one, but overall the pass rush, I think, was a little bit less than I was expecting. But again, this is a really good offensive line, and they were better at pass protection than my estimations coming into the game. So a little bit of column A, column B from the defense. Okay, typical fault of mine, T. Frank. I spent a lot of time on the offense, segment one, segment two. Yeah. Still a lot of other players on the defense. I'm just going to make it dealer's choice. Talk about defensive ends, linebackers, safeties, cornerbacks. Where do you want to go? Uh, I want to give a shout-out to guys that had great games. Jalen Reed and Curtis Jacobs, I think, were two of the outstanding players. Curtis Jacobs bringing that veteran presence where if you got guys out of position, you got guys that are maybe making mental mistakes, he was there as the veteran to clean things up. He had good pressures. He was in position. He was reading. He said he spent all offseason learning uh, the offensive side of the ball, and it shows. He was – you talk about not overreacting and pulling yourself out of position so you can react and make plays. Curtis was very, very even keeled. And then when it was time to go, he was able to burst and, and get to the football. Uh, not overly impact, you know, plays, but just the ones that were really good. And again, Jalen Reed improved in coverage. I thought he looked really good. And then the last thing is Kalen King. I don't think he had his the best game of his career, but there were a couple of times in the defensive secondary where West Virginia got a good play call on a zone blitz and or there was a a 
you know, uh, miscommunication on a hurry up play where they had to get set quickly. And it looked like the defense had two different calls going on of coverage. So the big play that wasn't over his head, that was straight up. The defense didn't know what it was doing on the back end. You've got multiple things going on at the same time. And you can see even his hesitancy is, is he playing the flat? Is he playing deep? He didn't really know. And ambiguity on that is, is a death sentence for a corner. Luckily the, for Penn state, the ball was off target. Uh, but it wasn't a bad game from the secondary either. They just didn't have a whole lot of opportunities. There wasn't a lot of throwing the football down the field. So when you do have those situations, they didn't necessarily have the opportunity to make plays. Johnny Dixon ran that route, uh, and his near interception was excellent textbook cornerback play, which is what we saw from him in our brief instances in camp. So the secondary, I thought they were good. Um, there were players that made good plays, and there were situations where the defense communication that's the number one thing with this defense is making sure everybody's on the same page. And as uh, um, Curtis Jacobs said to me, Manny Diaz tells, every, tells his defense, you can't take money out of your teammate's pocket trying to make the play yourself. You've got to make your play, and sometimes that means you get to the ball. Sometimes it doesn't. And they were still working through that in week one. Oh, my goodness. Look at that time, T. Frank. We didn't get to the kickers. Next week, I promise. My first question to you is going to be about the mm -hmm. kickers, okay? Sure. That is it for our sure. <laughs> that is it for our show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads Money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older in present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.